Every single one of us was pursued when we didn't deserve it. Every single one of us has been embraced by a savior who is faithful and true. That's his name. And you need to remind yourself that God is right there with you. You need to remind yourself that God makes promises and that God is faithful to us. Precious promises. The promises of God in Christ are the life of faith and the quickeners of prayer. Friends, do you believe that promise? That God offers the promise of transformation if we surrender to Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, church. Uh, today we are beginning week two of our Promises of God series. Uh, last week, Pastor Dave did a great job laying the foundation for understanding the promises of God from a biblical perspective. And we learned this great truth from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where he writes, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God of God. All the promises are yes and amen. And so as you look at our, our stage uh, through the course of the series, you can be reminded about that wonderful verse about the promises of God. Each week, you can look and be reminded again that in Christ, God has made precious promises to us, and our response should be a hearty amen. Now today, we're going to dive into our first very specific promise, the promise of God's sovereignty. In other words, this is the promise that God is in control no matter the circumstance, and I think that's something all of us need to hear right now, right? Um, we intentionally chose this promise to be first because it is foundational for all the rest. After all, if God is not in control, nothing else matters, right? So how does this promise impact our lives? So let me begin today by taking us down to the kitchen. Okay, I got my card here this morning. I got a visual for us to remember how God interacts with us in this promise. Now, my daughter is four years old, and she likes to take now an active role in cooking. She likes to get the pans out. She likes to put the, you know, put the water into them. And uh, it's a lot of fun for her at this age. Maybe you have kids, you know that that's what they like to do when they get to this age. Baking, it, it's great. Um, well, I recently heard a story of a daughter who was complaining to her father about how hard life was for her. I know nobody can relate to that. Uh, she said, as soon as I solve one problem, another one comes up and I'm tired of struggling. And so her father in the story was a chef and he happened to take her to a kitchen much like this one. And in the kitchen, he took out three pots and he filled them with water. And then he placed them, if they were on a stove, he placed them on a high fire and brought the pots to a boil. And in one pot over here, he placed some carrots. He took a carrot out and he put it in this pot and he was boiling the carrot, right? He said, here's the carrot. I'm going to boil it right here in this, in this pot. I'm going to bring it to a boil. Second, he brought out some eggs, right? And he took one of those eggs and he put it in the pot so that it would, it would boil and bring, it, and bring the water up really hot. And then last, he brought out some coffee beans, right? Anybody out there a big coffee fan, right? Some of you probably had coffee this morning. You pulled out your favorite mug. You poured that, that coffee, ground, the grounded coffee, maybe some of you like Folgers, I don't know. You know, come out here, you take the coffee grounds, and you throw it into the coffee pot as the water is boiling, so as to bring it up to your favorite tasty cup of coffee. 
Now he let them sit there and boil, and his daughters sit there watching him, and they both didn't say a word. His daughter waited impatiently, and she wondered what he was doing as all these things were bringing up to a boil. And after a while, he turned off the burners, he, he fished out the carrots, he placed them in a bowl, he pulled out the eggs and placed them in a bowl, and he poured the coffee into a nice pot like this. And then he turned to his daughter, and he said, darling, what do you see? <laughs> and she looked at him, and she said, dad, I, I see carrots, I see eggs, and I see coffee. Well, he brought her closer, and he asked her to feel the carrots. And she happened to notice that after the carrot had been in the water, it was really soft, and it was kind of mushy, and it was easily breakable. And then he asked her to take out an egg, and he broke the egg, and he peeled off that outer shell from the egg. And then finally, he asked her to come over here to look at the coffee, and to sip it. She smelled the aroma of the coffee and how delicious it tasted. And she looked at her father and she said, well, what does this mean, Dad? Great, you put all these things in the pots, you brought me down here, what does this mean? And he explained to her that each of them had faced the adversity of boiling water, but each reacted differently. Right, so the carrot went in hard, strong, Right? It wasn't weak. I didn't mean to break it. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> it was unrelenting. And after being subjected to the boiling water, it became softened and weak. This one's been boiled. The egg also was fragile. Its thin outer shell protected the liquid interior, but after it was sitting through the, the water, it was, it was hard. It was hard-boiled. The interior became hard. But these ground coffee beans were different, right? And anybody who's made coffee knows that... When you bring the water to a boil and you put the, 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 the grounds in there, you can smell the aroma, right? It actually changes the water. And so he asked his daughter, which one of these, when adversity knocks on your door, which one are you? Which one are you when the boiling water of adversity hits you with your life? Because all of us will face adversity in this life. In moments of tribulation, we need to cling to the promise of God's sovereignty because when, when, when tragedy strikes our lives, we naturally ask the question, is God really in control? Is God really in control? Now, when we speak of God being in control, we're talking about the promise of God's sovereignty. So what is sovereignty, you may ask? Well, that just simply means that God is both all-powerful and he is good. He is, the big word is, he is omnipotent. And here's the tension that I think a lot of us face. This promise is most acute when tragic circumstances enter our lives. Because when life is good, we rarely focus on God's sovereignty or we give it lip service. But when the storms of, of life blow, then our, our, our belief is tested. Because the reality is, life is difficult. Adversity ushers in emotional pain in many forms. In fact, you might be able to see yourself in, in this list of scenarios I'm going to give you. Let me, let me just point out a few times when the winds of life blow. First, maybe, maybe you're living through an unhappy and painful marriage. Right? Maybe you've been touched by the disappointment of miscarriage. Maybe you felt, and it's still fresh, the wound of a friend's betrayal. 
You face the anxiety when the family breadwinner has lost their job. Racial bias has been very real in your life. Perhaps you know all too well the difficult circumstances of physical illness, either your own or maybe you've watched somebody else you love, maybe a child walk through that. Now, I could go on, but you get the idea. It's in those moments that we must learn to trust God. It's in those moments that we need to believe that God is in control. It's in those moments that we need to be as unique as the coffee grounds. They were not changed. They they changed the water itself. the, The adversity actually brought out the aroma and the flavor. And truthfully, some of us don't really practically believe that God's in control. We need to ask, will we trust God? And trusting God requires that we believe he's sovereign, that he's in control. And when we believe that, Psalm 121 actually makes a whole lot more sense. What does the psalmist write? He says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, when adversity strikes, do you believe that? Now, years ago, I lived in Colorado, and I remember being amazed at the beauty and grandeur of the Rocky Mountains. And notice what he says here in the Psalms. He says, God can help us. Why? Because he made the heavens and the earth. He is the one responsible for those enormous mountains. The implications of this phrase are that he is in control. In other words, verse 2 specifically says that God is all-powerful. He created this very world and that we live in. And the person who trusts God knows and believes this. Now, what is the opposite of trusting in God? What's the opposite of trusting in God? Well, let me bring you back to the carrot, right? If you consider the carrot, right, when adversity comes, it grows very soft and weak. And some of us turn into boiled carrots when things get really rough. So rather than trusting in God, we start to doubt his power and goodness. Our faith becomes soft and weak. Or maybe, maybe you're the egg, right? So, so when the trials come in our lives, instead of pressing in and trusting God, our hearts grow resentful and hard, like the inside of the egg. We're angry at God. We're angry at what he's putting us through, and rather than trusting him, we want nothing to do with him. But do you want help? Right? Do you want help? What does the psalmist say about help? He says, when you're going through difficulties, run to the creator of the universe who holds you and I in his his palm, in his hand. He made us. He made the animals. He made the mountains that we look up to. He made the mighty sea that's very rumble, makes us quake. He is the one who offers help to us. What does that help look like? Look at verse 3. He says this, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Again, when adversity strikes, will you believe that? It says on account of our welfare, God will not sleep. Like like a caring parent, God will stay awake all night to protect their child. He's a keeper. And yet some of us going through life think the sun and the moon are out to get us. And we're going to fall. Do you believe that God is in control and will protect you? 
Verse 7, he says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. When adversity strikes, will you believe that? I mean, look at that promise, right? He will keep you from all evil. That word keep is the Hebrew word shamar. It means to guard, to watch over, to attend to carefully. Notice in the context of the psalm, it assumes that we're, we're going through a trial. In, in those moments, in those moments, the times of, times of trial, God watches over us and he asks us to trust him. It's in those moments when the waters of life boil over like our pots down here that we discover what we truly believe about God. Will you be a carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean? Because adversity will reveal what you really believe about the promise of God's sovereignty. It will reveal what we truly believe about God's control. So when we become the coffee bean, over here on the, well, the right for you, the left for me, uh, when we trust God in the midst of adversity, when our enemies are around us, when the future is uncertain, when our nights are sleepless due to stress and worry, the coffee bean is the one that presses into the promise of God's sovereignty, which, by the way, is an unconditional promise. He will always be sovereign. Trust him. Lift up your eyes to the hills and find where your help comes from. Now, how do we cling to the promise of God's sovereignty? Well, I want to kind of go through three things for the rest of our time today. First, we have to allow God to guide us, right? We have to allow God to guide. When the world is falling apart, we have to trust that he's in control and knows what he's doing. Second, we have to allow God to love us. And then third, we have to allow God to grow us, to use every circumstance for his glory. Now, we're going to spend most of our time on point one and then briefly touch on point two and three. But before we continue this morning, let's pray and ask God for help. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace, Lord. Thank you that you are in control no matter our circumstances. Thank you that you are in control when the adversities of life strike us and hit us and knock us down, Lord. Would we, would we pick our heads up this morning, our eyes, lifting them up to the hills, and know that you are where our help comes from in times of adversity. I pray that for my friends. I pray that for myself this morning. And we ask that your word would illuminate our hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So first, we allow God to guide us. Now, again, when I was in seminary, I spent a number of years, as I mentioned before, in Colorado. And growing up in New Jersey, I really had no idea that mountains could be so big and bold and beautiful. And I grew to love the adventure of whitewater rafting, like you can see on the screen here, down mountain rivers. And being an inexperienced paddler, I also learned that I would not survive a run down the Arkansas River without an experienced guide. Rocks at the bottom of the river cause the dangerous rapids you see in that picture right there. And it's exhilarating when you know what you're doing. It's deadly if you don't know what you're doing. So to get through safely, you need a guide. You need, you need a guide you can trust, a guide who knows the terrain and can guide your boat by themselves if needed. The promise of God's sovereignty is captured beautifully in the famous passage in Proverbs chapter 3, where Solomon writes, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust the Lord with all your heart. What does that trust require? 
It requires a belief that God knows what he's doing. It requires a belief that he's all-powerful, that he's in control. I would never get on the Arkansas River with an inexperienced guide. Because the truth is, the promise of God's sovereignty is the promise that he is that guide for us. But here's what most of us do. Most of us don't trust God. We trust ourselves. In fact, a number of years ago, Carrie Underwood of of, uh, American Idol fame famously released the smash hit, Jesus Take the Wheel, smash it single. And the song opens by telling the story of how on a long drive to her parents' house for Christmas, she unexpectedly loses control of her car as it skids on black ice. Ironic, as we're so concerned about ice here in New Jersey this weekend. In the moment of panic and fear, she belts out this lyrical masterpiece, right? What does she say? Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands, because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go, so give me one more chance, and save me from this road I'm on. Jesus, take the wheel. Now, when you trust the Lord with all of your heart, you proclaim that he's in the driver's seat. You're giving him the wheel of your life. But notice that second clause in there, it says in, in, in Proverbs 3, 5, it says, lean not on your own understanding, right? It's a warning because this is what most of us do. When we hit that black ice in our lives, when, when God doesn't answer the way that we want him to answer, what we do is we go and we take that wheel back. We say, God, I don't trust you with my wheel, right? I'm getting back in the driver's seat. I'm putting you in the back seat. And when we do that, we've missed the promise of God's unconditional sovereignty. Look at verse 6. He says this. He says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now this verse has a condition to it, right? You have to acknowledge his power and then he will guide you. While God promises to always be sovereign, we must acknowledge him if we want to access the full power of his guidance. He will make your path straight. Now, these these verses are some of the most well-known in the Old Testament, but we usually don't pause to consider what they mean, right? To make straight one's paths means to continually progress toward a goal. Notice the promise, right? When you trust the Lord with all your heart, when you have deep reliance on God, he will move you toward the goal he has for your life. In other words, trusting the Lord, allowing him to take the wheel, will only happen when several realities get lodged in our heart. And the first one, which I've mentioned before, is this. Trusting God requires, I believe, that he is sovereign. Say that with me. Trusting God requires, I believe, he is sovereign. Now, why is that important? Right, if God is not sovereign... If God is not all-powerful, if he is not in control of this world, can you really trust him? Again, you want a guy who knows where he's going and what he's doing, right? That's, why, we, again, why we chose this first as a foundational promise. Now, the doctrine of God's sovereignty is directly related to another theological category, that of God's providence. That of God's providence. Now, what is God's providence? Author Jerry Bridges, in his excellent book, Is God in Control, defines providence this way. He says, God's providence is his constant care for his absolute rule over all his creation for his own glory and for the good of his people. It's a great definition. right? Notice the emphasis here. He says, God offers constant care, absolute rule, over all of creation. 
Not even the smallest virus escapes his care and control. In other words, God is the guide you want going down the river with the rapids. The promise of God's sovereignty means he providentially cares for his creation, which practically means two things. First, God sustains us. God sustains us. God not only created the universe, but he is actively involved in the day-to-day, hour-by-hour interaction. In fact, speaking of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the exact representation of God's glory. He sustains things by his powerful word. Now, to sustain something means to support it physically and mentally and spiritually. In other words, apart from God's sustaining activity, this world would truly fall apart. Or Paul expresses the same sentiment in his letter to the church at Colossae. He says this in chapter 1, verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So let that truth just wash over you. Before anything was created, Jesus was there. He watched and actively took part in the creation of all things, and he didn't walk away. He is actively holding this world together. In fact, this is our memory verse for this week. In him, all things hold together. Why? Because that's the promise of his sovereignty. When it feels like your world is coming apart, remember this verse. Now, second, God doesn't just sustain us, but God governs the universe. He governs the and, and in our in our politically polarized society, we need to remember where true governance lies. He rules everything, right? Now, what what are some specific areas that He governs? I'll mention three. The first one is God governs the weather. Right? When it snows, when it rains, God governs that. In fact, Matthew 14 is a powerful illustration about how God rules over the weather. Do you remember that story? Right? Jesus' disciples are in a boat when all of a sudden the winds whip up, a storm comes in, and they're frightened, and then they see Jesus walking on the water toward them. And when they see Jesus, what does he say? He says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Right? Of course, Jesus then calms the store after teaching them a lesson about faith, but the scene is a powerful illustration that Jesus rules natural weather and the storms of life. Second, he rules over world affairs. The most powerful verse in this subject is Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, where he says, The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Right? In other words, God appoints rulers. And that's why Paul tells us to pray for all who are in authority. God is not surprised when wars break out. He's not surprised when when political leaders rise to power or fall from power. He's not surprised by pandemics. In his providence, he can take horrific events and turn them around for something good. Third, God is in control. He governs wayward acts. In other words, even when sinful actions occur, he can use that for good. Most famously, which we'll talk about next week, God says to his, I'm sorry, Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. And lest we forget, Joseph's brothers faked his death, sold him into slavery, which was horrific, 
And yet God used it to save his people from famine. God is sovereign over wayward, sinful acts. Now, some of you might be raising an objection right now, and you say, well, there's two things I want to mention about the promises of God. I object. Right? First, some may object on the premise that you believe in the worldview of deism. And in this view, God creates the world and leaves it alone. He's not involved in the day-to-day affairs of, of life. And sadly, I think many Christians live as functional deists. They believe God does not care enough to be involved in their lives, even if he created the world. But the promise of God's sovereignty destroys that belief. Second, some will argue that if bad things happen in this world, God cannot be sovereign over those events. In other words, if God controls everything, how can he truly be good? Did he have a part in the evils of slavery, the world wars, the unjust governments and countries? And admittedly, there's times when it's hard to reconcile God's sovereignty and his goodness as we face tragedies. But that tension gets us to a second truth about God's guidance, and that's this. Trusting God requires, I believe, he knows more than me. Trusting God requires, I believe, he knows more than me. Now, from my vantage point, there have been many times in my life when I wondered why God allowed something to happen. Right? Why did God allow my, my father to die at a young age? Why did God allow my son to be born with disabilities? Why does God allow certain people to get sick? Or why does he allow worldwide pandemics? In those moments, where will we run to but God? The promise of God's sovereignty reminds us that he knows more than me. In fact, let me share one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Deuteronomy 29.29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. In other words, God has revealed certain things and made, plain, and made them plain to us, but there are certain things that only God understands. There are, there are things that happen in our lives that we won't get an answer to until eternity, if at all. And sometimes we see God's plan in hindsight. For example, do you remember that famous story about Lazarus in John chapter 11? Right, Jesus' friend Lazarus dies and, and his family calls Jesus to help him before he dies, but Jesus waits to go, and then Lazarus passes. And, and, and in the moment, you would say, well, why would Jesus not intervene? And, and the, the answer to that is that Jesus knows more than us. And he takes a tragic situation, in this case, and turns it into something for God's glory. He resurrects Lazarus from the dead to show the power of God. Only in hindsight can we see what was happening there. But in the moment, again, we wonder what Jesus was doing. Trusting God requires, we believe he knows more than me. Why? Because he's sovereign and he's in control. And we need to trust him, finally, when the world is falling apart. Trust God when the world is falling apart. When things are collapsing around us, that's when we need to trust God the most. In fact, the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk knew this truth really well. He wrestled with that where is God question. (laughs) There there was evil surrounding him in his culture. He he did not understand what God was doing. The world, again, in his time seemed to be falling apart. And what does Habakkuk say? Chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, 
the flock be cut off from the fold, and there will be no herd in the stalls. Things are falling apart, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The trees aren't blooming. The vines have no food. The fields are empty. But he says, I will trust the Lord and take joy in his salvation. In other words, God is sovereign when the world is falling apart. I will trust that he knows more than me, and he will keep watch over me in his providence. And that's a good promise. So let's come back to the kitchen for just a second and and think about how this practically looks in our lives, right? When adversity strikes, again, will you be the carrot? Will you be the carrot? Right? Remember the waters of adversity? Again, make it soft and frail, and it's the, the carrots falling apart, right? To put it in more specific human terms, those of us who are carrots are fearful. We're fearful. We are paralyzed by fears and anxieties because when vegetables get boiled, right, what happens? They lose nutrients. They grow weak. What are you afraid of? Maybe your, it's your finances or career, Right? Maybe, it's, uh, maybe there's a health crisis you're facing. Maybe, maybe your relationships are falling apart. And what i got to tell you today is don't let the boiling water drain you of your faith and trust in the Lord. That's what the fear of the world does to us. It makes us soggy, weak, and easy to fall apart. We're a limp carrot. Will you be an egg? Right? Some of us, when adversity strikes, our hearts get hard and bitter. And eventually that interior bitterness breaks through that outer shell because the outer shell cracks and the inside opens up and we explode with anger. All right, that's our response to adversity. We're going to be angry and cynical all the time. And let me tell you, have you ever smelled a boiled egg? Right? Yeah, it stinks. <laughs> when the outer shell breaks through, the smell of the egg comes through. And people who are angry and cynical all the time who don't trust in the Lord, they stink. They're fragile. We lash out because we don't trust in the promise of God's sovereignty. We don't really believe he's in control. But this coffee bean right here is different. Right? When the hot water touches the coffee bean, it, it, it draws out. I can smell it right now. It draws out the smell and flavor and enriches the water itself. Now, what, 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 you know, maybe you like a different type of coffee. Just think about it. Maybe you like Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks, Priscilla's Pantry. Maybe you even like Folgers. God bless you. But, I mean, you know, that's just how it is. When you trust God, you start to smell like a delicious cup of coffee. There are people, the people who trust in the Lord that smell like the cup of coffee, they're the people who are humble even when adversity strikes because it causes them to fall on their knees in dependence of God. It causes them to be thankful for God's grace. It causes them to grow in their faith. When you believe in the promise of God's sovereignty, when we allow him to guide us, we will live a more full, impactful life in this world. You will live with joy in the midst of adversity. Why? Because we know God's sovereign. And he sits enthroned on our hearts. He sits enthroned on our hearts. All right, so that was the longest point. Let me briefly make two more points before we wrap up that I think are important. So second, we allow God to guide us, and when we allow God to guide us, naturally we allow God to love us. We allow God to love us. Perfectly apropos for Valentine's Day, 
February 14th, right? Allow God to love you. Right? When adversity strikes and the world is falling apart, one of the key questions we ask is what? Does God still love me? Does God still love me? Now think about a time you had a fight with your spouse or your significant other. That, that fight is not resolved, and part of the tension is, will this person still love me even after what I said to them? And when adversity strikes, we wonder, does God still care about me? The prophet Jeremiah beautifully captures this tension in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. He says this, Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Right? This verse captures the complexity of this promise, right? God is sovereign. He controls everything. And yet, the reality of life is that we experience both calamities and good. What are we to do with that? Because it's often in those moments when we most tangibly experience God's love and care for us. Jeremiah highlights this earlier in the chapter when he says this, because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are what? They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, if you break that apart, you see the promise of God's sovereign love. First, when the fires of life consume us, his love keeps us from being seared. God's love is our fireproof protection. What's the promise? The promise is his compassions never fail. Or other translations say his mercy never fails. His love never fails. Now second, they're new every morning. Right? Each day is a new opportunity to experience God's love and faithfulness. And we have a choice. Right? We can get angry like the egg, and many of us do. We crack. Or we can run toward God and fall in his loving arms. We can trust our great God. Now, that doesn't mean you're only going to experience good things. There's going to be times of calamity. But if you're a Christian, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, the, this verse promises that God will reveal his love for us during those calamities. In our pain, God refines us. God grows us. He meets us where we are. In fact, again, Jerry Bridges says it this way. He says, when troubling or disastrous events do occur, they always hurt we cannot dismiss them with the glib expression, oh, God's in control. Yes, God is in control. But in his control, he allows us to experience pain. That pain is very real. We hurt, we suffer. But in the midst of suffering, we can rest in the knowledge that he is sovereign. Yes. That is where the promise of God's sovereignty meets real life. God never wastes a moment of pain. In fact, I heard someone once say about God's sovereign love, he said, he said this, he said, God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best for us. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. God allows us to experience pain because he loves us. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but think about it this way. Right, some of us in this room or listening at home, right, you have... You've walked through some difficult seasons and you've suffered, right? And, and without those seasons, we would not be the person we are today. Some of us would not trust God the way we do today without those seasons of pain and suffering. That's God's love for us. In fact, C.S. Lewis said it was God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. 
allow God to love you this Valentine's Day? Are you a carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean? The carrot gets soft and weak. The egg cracks. They're overwhelmed by the boiled water of the world, and they don't know how to receive God's love because they're preoccupied. But again, that smell of coffee exudes God's, the aroma of God's love to a watching world. It has to be believed. It has to be absorbed and, and rest in the promise of God's sovereignty. And, th- and when we're in that place, that's when we can get to our third and final point. We have to allow God to grow us. Allow God to grow us. Because God uses every circumstance to grow us. The promise of God's sovereignty is that he has a plan, but too often we take that wheel back from God, right? We want to cut the pain short. Let me tell you the story of the Cecropia moth. Have you heard about this insect? The emergence of the Cecropia moth from its cocoon is one of the most fascinating events in all of nature. Right? In, 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 in this event that occurs, the moth tries to break free from its cocoon and it struggles an excruciating struggle to break free on the part of the moth. And many human observers have watched this moth. They've watched the moth go through the struggle, and in an effort to help, what the human viewer will do, it's gonna, it's, they, they snip the cocoon, attempting to end the pain that the moth is going through. But the moth that emerges after the intervention is injured. Its wings are crimped. And shriveled, the wings are weak, the moth can't fly. If the viewer had not, the human viewer had not intervened in the struggle, a few moments later that moth would have stretched out its wings in beauty and flown away. But now, because the pain ended too soon, it's doomed to live a brief life of frustration. It's not going to be the creature God intended it to be. And the moral of the story is this, we have to go through the struggle if God is going to grow us. The struggle to emerge from the cocoon was essential for the moth reaching its full development, despite how painful it was. Have you tried to avoid pain when it was necessary for your growth? Our adversities of life are like the moth trying to emerge from that cocoon. And for us, believing in the promise of God's sovereignty, that he knows what he's doing better than us, and that he's in control, is key for us growing into what God has called us to be, for us stretching out our wings. The Apostle Peter captures it this way in his letter. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes, is, is tested by fire, that you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, we encounter trials. The fire is real. Too often, we are exiting, as we're exiting the cocoon, we attempt to end the pain early for our detriment. But we are all the Cecropia moth. Let's let the fires refine us. Let's allow our faith to grow. Let's rejoice in this great promise. How? Well, Jerry Bridges, again, offers three ways that adversity can grow us, just briefly here. First, we can submit to it. Right? For the moth to exit the cocoon, it had to submit to the trial. For us, this means we recognize that God allows and wills certain things in our lives, calamity and good. 
We can be angry at him or we can trust him. Submitting to adversity allows us to recognize that God is sovereign. Second, turn to the word of God. Martin Luther once said, were it not for tribulation, I should not understand the scriptures. Right? In moments of hurt and pain and trials, it's then that the scripture comes alive. We must really trust God. It's then that our head knowledge turns into heart knowledge. Remember the lessons. Because too often we are, thirdly, remember the lessons, because too often we are selfish in our struggles. We take a woe is me attitude. But God wants to do more than have us simply endure our trials. He wants us to learn from them. Our trials are the disciplines he puts us through to grow our faith and help us see the promise of his sovereignty. It deepens our trust in him as we see his purposes. Because without those trials, like the moth, our wings will be injured. We won't be able to fly. We will not be all God intended us to be. Instead, we're going to be like the carrot, right? The carrot was what? The carrot was paralyzed with fear when it went into the hot waters. It was limp and weak. It said, the culture's against me, so I'm going to give in. So let me ask you today as you're watching, will you, if you're a carrot, would you turn your fear to trust today? Maybe you're an egg, right? The egg cracks when it, it's under the heat, when the boiling water comes. Anger and bitterness dominates our interior life and we stink to be around. But if you're an egg today, would you trade your anger and turn it into trust? Right, the coffee bean and the moth both share the same path. Those people trust in the promise of God's sovereignty when life gets hard. These people know he's in control. They trust in the promises of God's sovereignty even when life is hard. And they flourish because they're grounded in the assurance of his power and love. A person who drinks the coffee. <laughs> A person who drinks the coffee is full of peace and thankfulness and joy. Why? Because you believe and trust in the promise of God's sovereignty. You really believe that God is in control and that he is the sovereign king of this world. So let me end with another king. Marvel fans the world over were shaken when they learned about the, the death of Chadwick Boseman, right? The guy who played Black Panther, the king of Wakanda. Death is always shocking, but Bozeman's passing was all the more gripping because nobody knew what he had been facing, if you follow him, right? He was filming blockbuster movies like 21 Bridges and Avengers Infinity War and Black Panther and Marshall. And while he was doing that, he was undergoing treatments for stage 3 colon cancer. And he lost his battle last year, suddenly. He knew something about trials, and he shared this wisdom in a 2018 commencement address to his alma mater, Howard University. He said this. He said, sometimes you need to feel the pain and sting of defeat to activate the real passion and purpose that God has predestined inside of you. God says in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Let me invite the worship team to come back on stage for one final song. And as they come... Bozeman continued in his address. He said this, when God has something for you, 
It doesn't matter who stands against it. I don't know what your future is, but if you are willing to take the harder way, the more complicated way, you will not regret it. And that is the path of the promise of God's sovereignty. That no matter what, God is in control. When you believe that, you can rest in him. You can trust him. You can believe what the psalmist says in Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Indeed, what can mere mortals do to us when we believe and trust in the promise of God's sovereign power because he's in control? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we we praise you today. Lord, we know of your great love for us, and we know that you're in control, Lord. And I suspect that some that are out there that are listening, whether here in person or at home, Lord, some of us are wrestling with whether you are really in control because of whatever we're walking through. I know, just, 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 from, just from being in leadership, Lord, there's those that are sick, there's those that are, that are physically ill, Lord God, there's those that are walking through financial crisis, Lord, there's those that are wondering what, what comes next in the future, there's those that are worried about our, our country and our state, Lord God. Father, help us to know that you are in control no matter what. You are sovereign, and you offer that promise to us, Lord. Grow our faith. Refine us. Make us like the coffee bean, Lord, not like the egg and the carrot. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.